is an evangelist. Does the church act according to the word of God? Can a righteous God allow for injustice? Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. This is the summer of Bonhoeffer, and those are just some of the questions that we are going to talk about today as we look at the catechism that Dietrich Bonhoeffer co-wrote, really co-drafted, but co-wrote. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's so good to be here with you again here in the summer of Bonhoeffer. Let's go ahead and just jump right into this, starting first off with uh, addressing that really big word I just said, catechism. Let's start there with what is a catechism? Because if you grew up in a low church context, a low liturgical context, like a, like a, pa- a Baptist, Pentecostal, non-denominational church, you may be a bit unfamiliar with this idea of a of a catechism. It's a kind of a strange sounding word. Of course, if you're listening to this and you come from a high church liturgical context, then you totally know what this is and feel free to skip forward 30 seconds or whatever to get to the next minute marker as I explain what this is. So a catechism is a series of questions with brief answers. Those questions that I was reading off earlier, those are some of the questions from this catechism that Bonhoeffer was drafting. And how the what the catechism purpose was for is that you were catechized in your church when you learned these questions and the brief scriptural responses to each one of the questions. Traditionally, these uh, these catechisms are follow the structure, or or I guess I could say they are outlined according to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and Maker of earth, earth, and Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son of our Lord. Many of us memorize that either because, again, you were in one of those high liturgical church contexts, or because you used to listen to Rich Mullins and you remember his song Creed with that really cool instrument that's like in the shape of a triangle, and it's got like harp strings, and you bang little hammers on it, and it makes that little do-do-do-do-do-do-do sound. Yeah, just look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so catechisms traditionally follow the structure of the the Apostles' Creed, working through each one of those. I believe in God the Father. So it would typically start with questions revolving around who is God? What is God? You know, and then how they follow from that is that it is a logical progression of thought. So you ask the question, who is God? You give the answer. God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. All of them are equal and submit to one another in different ways, period. We call this the Trinity, period. The next question would follow would proceed from part of that answer that was just given. How do we explain three persons in one? How how do we, since they're in submission to each other, does that mean that one is, um, that one is uh, in, 
inferior, inferior, inferior to the rest. Like you, you follow these like logical thought progressions with each one of the questions, working through father, son, spirit, creation, humanity, sin, the church, usually something about communion, baptism, all these things are or work through with these questions. And then like I keep saying, brief answer. We're not talking about an essay, you know, like several paragraph answer per question. Instead, we're talking about like three sentences, a full paragraph at most, really. Like it's, they're typically very brief. I've, I've been exposed to at least two different catechisms in my day. First off, I have a Lutheran catechism, ironically, circa 1985, I believe is the copyright date. And I don't know if that has been updated since then, but I have it because it was on sale at my local library's book sale and it kind of looks cool. It's a really nice cover and it looks great here sitting out on my mantle. And I've read through that and I can verify the fact that yes, it follows this kind of apostles creed, um, format. Another really popular one, especially, well, I should say a very popular one currently that I am also have been exposed to is the New City Catechism. My uh, my home church, which is actually a non-denominational church, they have used this for a variety of, minis- variety of ministries throughout different ways. Um, I believe for a couple summers, that's what the youth group was doing to, uh, instead of like a Bible study or something, they would work through each night a couple of the questions, discuss it, discuss the answers, things like that. I believe there's also a children's adaption of the New City Catechism, and our my home church has used that within the children's ministry as well. And again, the New City Catechism also follows the uh, same pattern as the Apostles' Creed. So this is to help you guys all understand, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this concept, uh, it's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. Sure, it's very simple, very introductory, but that's the intended purpose, is that this is supposed to help you have basic, simple answers and responses to common questions that would come up in the Christian faith. I would say it's a almost like a very boring version of Awana, where Awana has a, a lot of activities and game time and prizes and jewels and lightning bugs and bears and all this other stuff, is that it, it's the, kind of a form of like childhood discipleship is what catechisms and awana is supposed to be. So that takes us now to what we're actually talking about today. To set the mood, uh, it is the summer of 1931, and I just want everybody to know I did not do that on purpose. I somehow have managed to pick out our first three readings that I've done for this show, uh, for this series, have all happened within a year of each other completely not on purpose it just kind of worked out that way honestly i was looking for like the shortest things to read so i could just read it record move on read it record move on (laughs) sorry makes me sound lazy and like i'm not putting a lot of effort into this i am 
promise. I promise I am putting a lot of effort into this. Um, but it's the summer of 1931, and Bonhoeffer is actually getting together with his good friend, Frank Hildebrandt, to put together this catechism. There, This is a draft. Uh, my understanding is that this was never actually officially published at all, but the their goal was to publish a catechism, to write up a catechism that was going to address current, circa 1931, current issues that Lutherans face. This, they are not tied whatsoever to the Apostles' Creed, um, to the Apostles' Creed format with the questions. Uh, instead, they are following a following the example of a very specific sermon Martin Luther preached on catechisms a long, long time ago. Hildebrandt did came across this sermon during his doctoral research. He showed it to Bonhoeffer, and this this sermon was so influential in Bonhoeffer's life that he then proceeded to keep a copy of it in his prayer book for the entirety of the rest of his life after that point. So this sermon um, is what shapes Bonhoeffer and Hildebrandt's um, outline of the questions. It's still, the questions do still follow a logical progression of thought, of leading one question off of another into the next one based off the answer from the previous question, uh, but it's not uh, specifically tied to the Apostles' Creed. And as we are going to see here as we get into these questions, um, it, it they do address they do address very specific things that are not typically covered in other catechisms, or at least in the few that I have come across. I think this is also a really good point before we start diving into the questions, because um, I've picked out a few here. I'll explain the ones that I've I've picked out here in a second. But I, I want to camp out on this thought for a moment before we proceed with the questions of we need to understand that when we are reading and thinking about the works of Bonhoeffer as we are doing this summer, we absolutely have to keep in mind that Bonhoeffer is a Lutheran among Lutherans. He is the chief of Lutherans. As the outsider looking in, he is the second Martin Luther. He is he is a Lutheran, and that is critical. I believe for us to grasp as we are reading his works, because as Pastor Will and I discussed several weeks ago, as when we got this series started, a lot of people from various camps like to grab a hold of Bonhoeffer for one reason or another. You know, we talked a lot about how he's very popular politically on both sides, both sides here in America, liberal and conservative like to latch on to different aspects of Bonhoeffer. I think his um, writings on community, which we are going to get to later this month, and also discipleship might strike a specific chord with uh, people who are more in like the house church environment. We have to keep in mind that Martin, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a Lutheran and that he is, well, here's the thing. I don't want to show my cards because we're actually going to talk about one very specific question here in a moment, but he is, I'm not saying he's arguing for 
the Lutheran Church. Although he is clearly passionate about German Lutherans. We have established that already, his passion for his people. What was that two weeks ago when we talked about that? And today I think it's going to become very clear that he is passionate about his German Lutheran brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And so we need to keep that in mind, that as we are reading Bonhoeffer, we have to understand that he is coming at this from a Lutheran perspective, a Martin Luther guy for sure. And when we begin to try and claim him for our, for our group, insert group here, unless you're Lutheran, um, if we are trying to claim him for our specific group, we need to understand who Bonhoeffer was a champion for. And here's the punchline. I'm going to show my hand a little bit. It's actually not the, the Lutheran church. He's not the champion for the Lutheran church. He may be the hero, a hero of the Lutheran church for sure, but he's not necessarily the champion, but he does love Martin Luther and he does love his Lutheran brothers and sisters. So back to the actual catechism, there are not one, not two, not three, but 39 questions and answers that uh, Bonhoeffer and Hildebrandt drafted together. That would have really bothered, bothered me. I would have had to try and come up with one more so we could have a nice round 40. I have gone through and read through all the questions, read through all the answers, and I have chosen 13 questions for us to talk about here today. And uh, yeah, that's really bothering me. I don't know why I didn't pick two more, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to do 13. Everyone's getting a, a look at my little OCD problems, um, my anxiety issues. So we're going to talk about um, 13 of these questions. I'll give a little bit of a of a understanding as to what comes before it, because again, that does matter. It's a, one of those many times where context is king. Um, but when it comes to these questions, you know, why did I pick these 13 over going through all of them? First off, that sounds boring going through all of them. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe you're probably that person listening. There's probably someone listening right now who's like, but I want to, I want to read all 39 of them. Then go get a copy of it for yourself and you can read it. It's actually very short. You, can, I'm sure it's got to be somewhere free on the internet somewhere. If you just try hard enough, it will be there. Um, part of the reason though I picked these 13 is because some of the questions, the answers are exactly what you would expect and hope them to be. His answer for what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? Those the the answers are exactly what you would expect and what you would hope. So, not that not that the gospel and Jesus doesn't matter, but for the sake of this conversation, trying to have, have some illuminate, illuminating thoughts from the mind of Martin Luther or Martin Luther, and I'm all tied up from the mind of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We're going to just kind of skip past the ones that, okay, this sounds exactly like what I believe anyway. The questions that I did choose, though, part of the reason why I chose some of these is because the questions are unique. Like I said, some of these questions don't typically show up in catechisms. So 
again, this gives us a look into what was on the mind and the priorities of Bonhoeffer and Hildebrandt as they were putting this together. And there are some of these questions that, you know, on this, the, the question itself, you would think is going to have a very, very normal answer to it. But, um, yeah, yeah, you might be a little surprised what the answer is. I liked reading this a lot. I did because it was like reading an interview in a newspaper or a magazine or on a blog or something. Cause it was just question, short answer. You know, it wasn't these like high and lofty thoughts that he was expounding upon for paragraph or paragraph. No, just, just one little, one little comment per, per question. Nice and simple. So let's get this started. And I apologize to all of our German speakers. Um, I should have done this at the beginning because I said a German word right off the bat. And I'm going to say it again. And I'm just, I'm sorry. I am sorry. I'm not good at foreign languages. So he starts this off with, what is the gospel? And the second question he goes with is, what is evangelish? What is evangelish? I apologize if I mispronounce that. This is a German word as I said a moment ago, that it's, it's one of those words where there's not necessarily like a direct equivalent. It is absolutely not our word evangelical. You know, the way that we think of evangelicalism or evangelicals in America, that's not what this word is. Evangelish is typically more so translated as Protestant, but with a specific kind of nuance to it. So we could understand this question to be more like, who is, um, we can understand it to be a little bit more like, who is following the gospel of the Reformation? That is the fullness of this question. Who is following the gospel of the Reformation? That is what, it, we've understood what the gospel is. The gospel is, Jesus Christ, the gospel is the kingdom of God has arrived. The, we, we understand what the gospel is, but what is, who is the person following the gospel of the Reformation? That's kind of what this question is getting at, which is something that I don't think we typically think about, at least in my own context. Um, if we do, it's just a lot of hate towards the Catholic Church, uh, but it, it would make sense for a guy who is Lutheran to make that a priority. You know, let's understand what it means to follow the gospel of the Reformation. What is the gospel? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God being us, ushered in to this world and us following Jesus. Discipleship, right? So we have this idea of what is the gospel and what does that look like through a Reformation lens? From that question, then, we get the question, where does our knowledge of God come from? So sit back and think for a second, okay? Listener at home, where does our knowledge of God come from? Now, 
you may have immediately ran to one very obvious answer, and that is the Bible, right? The Bible is where we get our knowledge about God, right? And okay, so Romans also talks about, you know, general revelation, right? So primarily scripture, also, you know, like creation itself speaks to the existence of God. Bonhoeffer, your baptism, the church, the Bible. And I don't know if that is necessarily in a a specific order, but it starts with your baptism. You know, as a child, when you are baptized into the Lutheran church, as a baby, when you're baptized into the Lutheran church, that is the first time that you receive knowledge of God. And it is growing up in the church and being exposed to the word of God that you continue to know more about God. And by going to church, I don't mean, Bonhoeffer doesn't mean you're sitting under preaching and memorizing Bible verses, although that is a part of church, but being among the community of saints, that's what he means by being in church. Your knowledge of God comes from being around other people. We go down a little bit further here. And he asks the question, where can I find proof of the existence of God? So how can I prove? How can I find proof of God? So we know of God through our baptism, through um, the church, through the Bible. But how do I have proof of God? How can I prove that he is existent? And according to Bonhoeffer, a God that can be proved is an idol. There is a transcendence of God, of our God. There is something about our God. There are many things that are beyond us because we are the creation and he is greater than us in every way possible. And so we, we cannot prove him entirely, which makes sense and it does put a very interesting slant towards the conversation that we had a few months ago now uh during apologetics 101 on does god exist so to you know this is like a whole thing within apologetics is trying to prove the existence of god and to bonhoeffer to be able to totally prove prove god is well then that is an idol that we have successfully proven, not the actual God that we serve. Doesn't creation, skipping down a little bit further, doesn't creation, doesn't the creation story contradict science? Ooh, oh, here's a good one. Well, what do you think, folks? Does the creation story contradict science. Well, according to Bonhoeffer and Hildebrandt, scientific research and faith are two different things. Okay, interesting. Any child knows the world was not created in six days, but may not know that the spirit hovered over all things and created all things and that man is made in the image of God. 
very interesting answer, is it not? I do believe that I don't want to comment too much on this because it may not necessarily it may not necessarily be exactly what we th- were thinking it was going to be. But this is one of those moments where I really wish I had more material on what Bonhoeffer believed and taught about creation. I don't know if there is anything out there. If you all do know, please comment on wherever you find the link for this episode. Make sure you're following the show on Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod and leave me a comment, drop into the show's DMs, email me email seminarylife at gmail.com. Um, if you do know if there is material out there about what Bonhoeffer, further on what Bonhoeffer taught on creation, because that doesn't sound maybe like what a lot of us would necessarily hope and expect for. Skipping down a little bit further, how can a righteous God allow injustice? Ooh, Bonhoeffer, you're like a little bit late on this question because this was one of the episodes, again, back during Apologetics 101, uh, was to deal with evil, pain, and suffering. And this was an episode that got a lot of chatter afterwards. And don't worry, folks, there is a plan for more conversations about suffering because misery loves company. Ooh, Okay, I may have just come up with the title for the series. Anyway, so what does Bonhoeffer have to say? Okay, so weigh in on us, Bonhoeffer. What do we got? Our wisdom of God's will is limited, but all things work together for good. Fine. (laughs) Fine, if if you insist. (laughs) Our wisdom of God's will is limited. That is true. All things work together for good. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. And I'm summarizing a lot of these answers, but seriously, that was basically it. Moving forward, talking uh, other questions about sin-related things. We're now entering into a question that uh, kind of proves a little bit of where Bonhoeffer's mind was at during the time. Don't you kill in war? The church has no business with war but to pray for peace. The church has no business with war but to pray for peace. And we've already established a couple weeks ago that the German mindset, particularly at this time post-World War I, post-Treaty of Versailles, was that uh, many of them were seeking a pacifist philosophy And this is something that is carried all throughout Bonhoeffer's ministry and philosophy and ethics. And so to him and his understanding of scripture, um, the church has no dealings with war. And that's very interesting, particularly for myself coming from a context where I don't want to say war is necessarily celebrated in church, but you know, we we do we do pay a lot of honor and respect towards soldiers, particularly people who we know who have gone to war, who are Christians. And it's a it's an interesting and I, I'm assuming we'll talk more about this as the series goes on because we we all know what's coming, right folks? Sadly. Um but 
it does it does put some things into perspective of should Christians then be willingly choose to join the military and to go to war. You know, I, I'm one of those people that kind of leans towards this side of if you're following your convictions, okay. But at least, at least here again, Bonhoeffer is not God. He's not, the end all be all we're just i'm just wrestling with thoughts of some guy who i i would at least consider is a lot smarter than me um that the church has no dealings with war other than to pray for peace and i think that part i can at least 100 percent put chips down and say yes i agree the church needs to be praying for peace pray for peace in the middle east in ukraine pray for peace do it. Do it now. Actually, actually pause this episode and do it now. All right. Now that you're back, isn't that unpatriotic? Well, at least he's going to address the elephant in the room, right, folks? And boy, does he cut deep with this answer. A defiant ethnic pride in flesh and blood is a sin against the Holy Spirit. A defiant ethnic pride in flesh and blood is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like I've read that several times. I've thought about it and it still just like hits me like a ton of bricks, folks. Just being quite honest. And this speaks again back to a few weeks ago as Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer is uh, building... Um, sympathy and love and unity and peace for the German people. You know, he starts that talk off um, by talking about um, that he is German and he's appealing to them as a German. But what we see here is that this is not a nationalistic, I think I'm better than all of you, or that his identity is fully found in his ethnicity, in his in his country of origin, but it still plays a role in how he ministers and who he cares for. But to find pride in it, ooh, (laughs) we talked a little bit about pride last week, didn't we? Uh, When we find pride in it, then there is a huge issue. How should a Christian behave politically? Well, aren't we just hitting all of the big ones right now. Aren't we hitting all of the big ones? The commandment of love urges the Christian to stand for the neighbor. Stand for his neighbor. The commandment of love urges the Christian to stand for his neighbor. And that is his guiding thought when it comes to how Christians should engage politically. And that is, again, a big is a big healthy reminder for us that Bonhoeffer is not the champion of the liberals, of the conservatives, of the any party, that our thoughts, how we engage politics should be the thing on our mind, how do I love my neighbor? How can I love my neighbor by engaging in politics right now? Kind of like in 2020, you know, or at least for those, those who wanted to 
actually follow the mandates and the vaccines and the face mask, you know, that was a lot of what was on people's minds. How do I love my neighbor during this season? <sighs> Sorry, deep sigh for 2020. It will always it will always be followed by a deep sigh. We skip ahead now to the section on Jesus talking about his deity, who he is, how he how he was born incarnate among us and the question goes to why does so few acknowledge this why do so few people acknowledge who jesus is and the answer is so interesting because it's not it's not the sin nature it's not the devil it's because we would rather ponder god than the one who became flesh. We would rather think high and lofty thoughts about the concept of God rather than engage with the man himself, rather than engage with God who took on flesh. And that's just, oh, it's just so God. It's so good. Because, yeah, like sin and devil and all of that, like that, yes, yes does play a factor but also just so many people would just rather think high and lofty thoughts than actually be in a relationship with jesus and it's just sad it's just sad and i don't mean sad like pathetic i truly mean sad like it it weighs on me i'm feeling this weight right now thinking about that he goes on to the holy spirit and what's interesting talking about the holy spirit it also simultaneously there's questions about the church at the same time. Does the church act, act according to the will of God? Does the church act according to the will of God? Answer, the church barely obeys the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Dang. Barely obeys the Sermon on the Mount. And many of you listening know that Bonhoeffer is going to weigh in more on the Sermon on the Mount here uh, with his work, The Cost of Discipleship, which is often considered uh, his most beloved work. Not his favorite, not the work that he thought contributed the most to um, the school of thought and Christianity and all that, but um, this is the the book that is most beloved by him uh, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. So, no, the church is not doing good. That's yeah what is the sorry not what uh where where is the true church Ooh, okay so is this the part when he tells us how we all should be lutheran or we're all sitting or that we should all start a house church or that martin luther was wrong and we should all go back to being catholic well it's not that last one i can tell you that much um the true church is where preaching stands and falls with the pure gospel of a gracious God over against all human self-righteousness. One more time for the people in the back, because it's that dang good. The true church is where preaching stands and falls with the pure gospel of a gracious God over against all human self-righteousness. That is the true church. That is what Martin Luther did it again. That is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a champion for. 
Yes, he is Lutheran. He is a Lutheran among Lutherans. But he is ultimately a champion for the church that stands on the gospel of a gracious God. What kind of church does Bonhoeffer want you to be a part of? One where the gospel is actually preached. Furthermore, the next question then is, do I need a church? If you knew what the church is and why it needs you, then you would not ask such a question. Wow, way to just smack them. <laughs> like, way to just, like, hit them where it hurts there, Bonhoeffer. If you knew what the church is and how it needs you, you wouldn't ask that kind of a question. That's that's basically like saying there are no stupid questions except for that one. Yes, you need the church. Yes, you need to be a part of a church. And again, the church that you need to be a part of doesn't even have to be a Lutheran one. It's a church where the gospel of a gracious God is being preached. That is the church to go to. Last question for us today from this catechism. Uh, actually, wasn't really even a question. It was more of a, a section. The Lord's Supper. What is the Lord's Supper? I'll, I'll pose the question. What is the Lord's Supper? What is communion? The Lord's Supper is Christ given to you, daily bread of church community and the kingdom of the Father. Well, that's not even remotely what I thought he was going to say. It is Christ given to you, it's the kingdom of the Father, and it's the daily bread of church community. Have you seen all that Bonhoeffer is saying here about the church? Like, as we wrestle with, right now, the state, the state that we are in, not literally the state of Indiana, but the state that we are in as, a, as Christians in America, we really need to ask ourselves, what is the church? And to Bonhoeffer, it seems that the question, the answer to how should we conduct our church is that we need to be a church that is proclaiming the gospel of a gracious God over human self-righteousness and living in community with those who are, we are at church with. That is what church is. And hopefully that challenges you in whatever church context you are in right now to analyze what are you standing on? What is the preaching standing on? Is it standing on the gracious God, the gracious gospel of our God? Or is it human self-righteousness? You know, we're, there's a little bit of a buzz. We talked about this a few weeks ago on the culturally relevant part of the show. There's a little bit of a buzz right now about fundamentalists. We do not like fundies anymore. Probably, actually, probably for a very long time. Um, I shouldn't say we don't like. We are concerned. <laughs> we are very aware right now of fundamentalists and what the fundies are doing are trying to do, have been proclaiming. We need to be a church that is set upon 
the gospel that is t- proclaiming the gospel of our gracious God. And a church, be a church that is walking together in community more than just on Sundays. That is something you've probably heard a lot from your church is that, you know, you need to be in the word of God more than just on Sunday, Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesdays, you know, most churches don't have Sunday night service anymore, which is a shame. I love Sunday night services, but along with that, you do need to be in your Bible and you do need to pray and you do need to be worshiping more than just on Sunday mornings. But I think also if we are to heed the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer here and also maybe see the Bible as it actually speaks in the book of Acts, that alongside of those things, we need to be in community more than just one day a week. And it does also make me wonder, I know we're going a little bit long on this episode, so I will I will wrap things up here briefly. It does also make me wonder, we talked a little bit about this with Pastor Will a few weeks ago, you know, Bonhoeffer was killed at a young age, right? just shy of the end of World War II. And so, you know, if if he would have been set free, you know, if he would have managed to survive until the end of the war and was rescued from prison, released from prison, chances are he would have been, <clears throat> he would have passed away by mid-80s, just by age alone. So, he, he would not be, the point of the story is he would not be around today, right now. But it does make me wonder what Bonhoeffer would think of our present situation with digital media, virtual church. We've talked a lot about digital media ministry here on the show, because this is one of the hot present realities of ministry right now. And if you're a long-time listener, you've known that I, you know that I've changed my mind a little bit on this topic. I've gone from gung-ho, throw everything against the wall, do it all, digital ministry, to really sitting back and asking the question, do we really need all of this stuff? Is this really the best way for us to engage our neighbors and our church community. And so it does make me really wonder how Bonhoeffer would take sitting and watching a live stream church service, how he would, what he would think of a zoom Bible study, right? Again, working with this framework of, is it, is the preaching gospel centered? Okay. That's good. But it's that community aspect. You know, when you're just sitting there and watching a screen, and maybe I get, you know, some people watch it by themselves. I watch um, Will's church service. You know, Cooper is technically in the room, but he, well, that's not true. <laughs> he is in the room. Uh, I was going to say he doesn't pay attention, but actually there was one time like the children's message was going on and actually, he actually did stop and watch it. It was very interesting. Like I forgot who was teaching, but they were saying something that even a one-year-old was like gathering. Should get him baptized. Anyway, <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. It was good too. Yeah. It makes me wonder what Bonhoeffer would think about nowadays 
with digital media ministry and the relationship to church community. I guess if there was a way to do it where, again, we are in community with each other, building each other up, feeding each other the daily bread of God's word, and by being with each other, if there was a way to do that well digitally, and honestly, I don't know if live stream church services actually do that. I think in the early days of the pandemic, it was good and it was helpful. It was better than nothing. And maybe in that aspect, it was a good form of community for a church. And now, I don't know if that actually checks the box. And I don't know. I'm sure there are ways. I'm sure there there has to be ways to build a digital ministry that has community. And that that is something that I'm still actively trying to figure out with uh, the podcast here. But boy, howdy, I've been going for 45 minutes. We should probably start wrapping this up. Thanks for hanging in there with me, man. uh, If you've made it this far, congratulations on listening to me ramble for like 45 minutes. You're a stud friend. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you so much. Um, Going to this description of the episode, find links to all the important stuff, the, the website, the, the, the shop. Um, If you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy the show, if you haven't yet already, please take the 30 seconds to two minutes to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you really, really enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash MSL pod and you can tip me a little, a little something, something, a little, a little $3 cup of coffee. Uh, obviously, all tips go to helping the show grow and do well and maybe occasionally buy me a, a cup of real coffee. There's also the MSL Fan Club over there on Buy Me a Coffee for $9 a month. You get early access, or I guess I shouldn't say early access. You get... Um, exclusive posts that include finding out ahead of time what's coming out the month before or the month after the next month. (laughs) I'm tired. Uh, You also get a shout out here on the show if you subscribe to the uh, MSL fan club. And I think that is it. Yeah, that should be it. Um, next week on the show, we're going to look at what things are... We're going to skip ahead a couple years. It's not 1931 anymore. It's going to be 1933, I believe. I think we're jumping ahead two years. And things are things are changing in Germany. And we're going to have a little bit of a... Polit- I think we're going to have a very political episode ahead of us next week as we uh, start to look at the rise of the Nazis. And so anyway, that's next week. Um, Oh, by the way, before we go, make sure you're following the show on YouTube as well. There's a link for that in the description as well. A new video just went up. If you're brand new to the show, this is a good episode for you because in the video, I recap all of the series that we've done over the past two years. So if you really want to get the short version, it's like 15 minutes long, but if you want the short version of what's been going on around here, that's the episode for you. Now I'm done. You're a stud for sticking around for so long. This is Brandon signing off, reminding you as always that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.